0: Conversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. I'm Gary Myers, and this is the GOAT, Tom Brady. Episode 11 Perks and Pranks. Can you imagine receiving a phone call asking if you'd like to play 18 holes with former presidents George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton, and then see them waiting for you wide eyed as you stepped off a helicopter in Maine? Well, welcome to Tom Brady's life. This episode is gonna be a little different as I show the personal side of Tom Brady. I'll start by playing a compelling interview I did for this podcast with Jim Nance of CBS. In the second half of the episode, I'll share some anecdotes of Brady as an all pro practical joker. As his former backup and best buddy Matt Castle told me, never mess with anybody who has more money. That sounds like pretty good advice. I mean, after multiple Super Bowl MVPs, who thought Brady would have the time to remove and then hide Castle's four tires? Actually, he didn't, but he found somebody more than happy to help. But I'm going to start with the perks of being Tom Brady. Jim Nance is one of my favorite people in the business. When I was working for the Dallas Morning News in 1987, Nance was 28 years old and early in his career with CBS. He was not yet the voice of the NFL, NCAA basketball, and the Masters. He was at the Cowboys-Jets game at Giants Stadium as a reporter as part of the famed Pat Summerall and John Madden broadcast team. It was the first week of the dreadful replacement games the NFL was playing to break the 1987 player strike. Nance asked if he could interview me in a press box during the game to get a sense of what the mood was of the fans and the striking players back in Dallas. We were on the camera for about one minute. My father even took a picture off the screen and I still have it hanging in my home office. All these years later, it was time I interviewed Nance. He has broadcast more of Brady's games on television than anyone and as a result, has gotten to know him very well. Jim is such a great storyteller, and I was captivated by his once-in-a-lifetime memory of playing golf with two former presidents and the greatest quarterback of all time. I'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Jim and I started off by talking about his history with Brady.
1: I had the honor of calling nearly 100 of his New England Patriot games through the years. I I I had great front row seat (laughs) i really did Mm -hmm. got to see him from the 50 yard line in so many situations all of those afc championship games winning his last super bowl every critical matchup they had and they don't all go to cbs but the great majority of them do because we carry the afc sure i've seen the script i've seen the movie many times i've watched it On replay, it feels like it over and over again. The loop is burned in my brain for life, that's for sure. (laughs) And I've seen Tom do so many remarkable things. I feel like sometimes as a broadcaster, the the things that you can't control, such as who are the star subjects that fall under your watch? And for me, I've really basically centered my career around three sports, the NFL,
2: college basketball, and golf. Mm -hmm. And in golf, I got to cover
1: the end of Jack Nichols' career, including his historic sixth green jacket of Augusta in 1986. And I got to watch and document the great majority of Tiger's career. The great number of wins that he had fall on CBS again because just pure tonnage. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the most events, we have the most majors, and I had the opportunity to describe Tiger walking up the 18th on his way to winning a title nearly 60 times in college basketball. My career happened to just fall into that period when Mike Krzyzewski was building the program at Duke, whether it was his first trip to the Final Four in 1986, which I got to host, as he guessed, to calling all of his national championships, all five of them. But when it gets to football, when it gets to the NFL, again, dumb luck, whatever you want to call it, Uh, AFC Network, uh, my career has been really... uh, defined by the biggest subjects you can come up with, Brady and Belichick and Peyton Manning. Man, really, seriously, that that was the bulk of my mm-hmm. last 20 years of existence of covering the NFL, Brady, Belichick, and Manning. So it's, it's been fun to watch, it's fun to see the Bats do what they
0: do. What was he like, or, and I'm sure you'll have an opportunity to do some Bucs games at some point. But well, what has he been like in, in those production meetings? Is he programmed like he's been in press conferences, or as he's got to know you as he got to know you over the years? Would you say that he was free flowing with information, or? Well, I found first off, you can't help but get to know the people that you're around
1: a great number of times. And in Tom's case, when we get down to the production meetings, always very generous and friendly. Especially had time for you when they were on the road. Mm-hmm. Not that he was in a rush, but sometimes your production meeting and 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 your alone time, that uh, actually alone, it would be myself, Phil Simms, Tony Rombo, our producer and our director, et cetera. So it's a group of about five from CBS. Sometimes we would get usurped at home with um, Tom having to run back out of the field for the start of practice. they try to squeeze him in on the front end of practice. But when the Patriots were on the road, Tom gave you all the time in the world. I think – Every quarterback understands this is kind of part of the demand. that The production teams have to, broadcast teams have to talk to the quarterback. And uh, some are better than others, but Tom was always brilliant, I found, and um, seemed to enjoy the camaraderie.
0: I moved the conversation along to whether Mance had a personal relationship with Tom. And then he told me such a great story. I had the wonderful
1: blessing of having a very deep, and special friendship with former President George H.W. Bush, President 41.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He was like a surrogate father to me. Wrote the forward to my book and counseled me on many things in my life. It had nothing to do with politics. It all had to do with friendship and someone mentoring a younger person. I was from Houston. Bush family, strong ties to Houston. He took great pride in my career that I was a kid from Houston who made it to the network covering sports, which he absolutely adored, the world of sports. So in 2005, I'm at the Final Four in St. Louis, and I get a phone call from 41. He says, Jimmy, I need a favor from you. I have struck this really close friendship with President Clinton. You know, we've been working on the tsunami relief efforts in Southeast Asia. President Clinton and I have been traveling all over the world raising money together. Parenthetically, they raised $1.5 billion dollars together yeah. for relief efforts. And it took them all over the world, and they developed a friendship that had gone from what once was a political rivalry, mm-hmm. one of whom defeated the other, Clinton defeated Bush, obviously in the in the election in 1992. And there was really a good bond. So president asked me if there'd be a chance this summer they were hoping to get together on a social basis. And no cameras, no media, just go out and play some golf and hang out. And he said, we got to thinking about it, we need, we need an intermediary. We don't want to talk about world events. We want to talk about sports and things like that. Somebody can keep the conversation going. You're our guy. Would you avail yourself this summer to come spend time with us in Kenny Well, you know, it's an invitation of a lifetime. So that summer of 2005, uh, we went to the bush compound in Maine and we played golf for a couple of days, had a couple of dinners, played cards, hung out. It was glorious, and it was one of the great moments, treasured moments of my life to be able to be there. Well, you could tell that there was a closeness between these two men, these two former commanders-in-chief, and they wanted to do this again. The following year in '06, i I'm at the Colonial Golf Tournament in Fort Worth, and I get the call again from 41, Jimmy, <laughs> we want to do it again at some point in June. But I got a favor to ask. Could you possibly bring a fourth someone that President Clinton would get a real kick out of? He could come play golf with us. He could stay here uh, on the on Walker's Point. You know, somebody interesting. He just President Bush. He was wired in a certain way. He wanted to make everybody happy, mm-hmm. and he wanted to make President Clinton really happy. So, can you think of someone? that he would get a real kick out of playing golf with. I don't want you to have to inconvenience anyone and have to travel to California or anything crazy like that, but is there someone kind of in the region in the area, can you think it through? And I said, Mr. President, I actually have a candidate for you. He said, who's that? And I said, how about Tom Brady? Suddenly the phone went silent, and then finally he kind of stammered through it and said, you, you you mean the New England Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady? I said, well, yes, sir. I said, uh, you know, I've gotten to know him pretty well. He's a great guy, and uh, you know, he's right down the road in Foxborough, Massachusetts. I think he would be a perfect fit. Yeah, but but Jimmy, I've got to ask you, do you think there's any chance Tom Brady would come up here and play golf with us? <laughs> and I said, sir, let me see here. he President Bush, President Clinton you know what, I kind of like our chances. <laughs> By all means, ask him. So um, I said, yes, sure, I will. So I, I you know, had Tom's number, and I, I can still remember the phone call because Tom, went, went when I explained it to him, his first answer was something along the lines of, where are you right now? And I said, I'm down in Fort Worth covering the Colonial Golf Tournament. He says, have you been drinking some margaritas or something? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. No, I'm, this is a sincere invitation. Here are the dates we're looking at. I know the presidents would love to have you. I'll be there. That would be our foursome. He said, this is incredible. I'll get back to you. He just didn't believe it at first. So sure enough, all the stars are aligned. And Tom makes his way to Kennebunkport about a month later. Now, you know, he's, at this point, he's already put together a pretty brilliant resume. It happened, the date happened to overlap with an off-season quarterback camp. So he can only come for one of the two days and nights. Mm-hmm. But I'll never forget the sight of President Bush and President Clinton standing outside and watching. In very dramatic fashion, Tom arrived by a helicopter from Foxborough. Wow. He'd had a a practice, whatever, jumped in a chopper, and he landed right there on Walker's Point. And here were these two presidents, (laughs) like, just giddy, with a chance to meet their football hero. That is great. And the chopper lands, and the plates blow down, and he ducks down as he comes off the steps, and there's the presidential greeting. Like, he's the president, but there are two presidential (laughs) meetings. And uh, anyway, what ensued was uh, just a memorable 24-hour stretch. Dinner out, cards on the point, particularly with President Clinton. Mm -hmm. The next day we went out to play golf, and we got on the first tee, and someone suggested we should partner with everybody. Six, six, and six is what we call it. i play with you for six holes. I'll play with that guy for six Mm -hmm. holes. I'll play with the other guy for six holes. We'll have a match. So the first six holes, Tom was partners with President Bush, and they defeated the Clinton-Nance team one-up over six holes. Mm-hmm. The, the the middle leg, I, I played with President Bush against Clinton-Brady as a team, and we played to a draw. Now we get to the 13th team, it switched the bags around since so you're riding on the same card as your teammate. Mm-hmm. And now it's going to be... Uh, Brady and Nance against two presidents and Tom got in the car he said he just was wide-eyed and said can, can you believe this day we're playing at Cape Run Golf Club Ki Puport he said man thank you so much this is just like the wildest thing ever and uh, I said well I, I don't need to motivate you but you know I can't think there's ever of any occasion where there's been two former presidents, Played a golf match against two guys off the street like
2: us.
1: (laughs) He says, what do you say? I said, it would be really nice to beat these guys. They will say that we beat two former presidents together. All of a sudden, his countenance changed. It was like I was looking into the helmet and the wide-eyed and giddy Tom Brady that, you know, starstruck by the day that he happens to be inside this magnificent bubble. And suddenly he is inspired to try to go out and make history. The thought's been put into his head. So, after the six-hole match, we had defeated the two presidents, five up, over six
2: <laughs>
1: It was a wonderful victory. Most of it, the great, great majority of it, uh, heavy lifting accomplished by Brady, of course, in the clutch. And off we went to lunch, which was going to be the final leg of this 24-hour journey for Tom. And. We ended up getting on President Bush's boat, Fidelity 3 at the time, which was docked right at Walker's Point, and would go along the coastline into a little town harbor called Algonquist. Now, no one had been warned that there was going to be tremendous star power coming to the harbor in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. But when we when we docked there, we walked pretty much unnoticed through the streets about 300 yards to a little uh, restaurant, seafood shack, called Barnacle Billy's, where the owner, Billy, took us to the sun deck up top of a spiral staircase. And we looked out over the harbor and down on the back side and ate lobster roll sandwiches and ice cream, took pictures and reflected on this incredible gathering over the last day from lunch on the spot to dinner the night before to the golf, etc happened to peek over the roof's edge from the sun deck and I looked down and now there was a sea of people, hundreds of people. The word had spread that all three of these guys, Bush, Clinton, Brady, were in the house, so to speak, and they were waiting for him. Well, as it turns out, President Clinton was going to be leaving from this very spot. His motorcade was waiting for him down below. President Bush, Brady and I, would be going back on the boat to head back to Walker's Point, where Tom would later leave that day. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're getting ready to leave, Gary. And I went over to Tom and I said, Tom, you're in your 20s. You're going to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback for the rest of your life. The public adores you. They're always going to adore you. And I know it's hard to figure out how you manage the crowd how you are able to make people feel special. I've seen the best do it. Arnold Palmer and these two guys. You think about every time they're out in the public, how they make people feel special. I'm gonna tell you, watch them work the crowd. There are several hundred people here and they're all going to want a piece. They're all gonna want a picture, be touched, whatever. Watch the way they work the crowd. You can learn from this. This is a great chance for you to say, Hey, I saw it done by the best. Mm-hmm. We've climbed down the spiral staircase, secret service agents everywhere. We got the detail team from both Bush and Clinton on hand. And all of a sudden, you know, flashballs are going off. People are shouting out their names and the whole thing. And it's just amazing to watch them in action and how generous they are with the public I'm talking
2: about the presence. Mm-hmm.
1: Meanwhile, Tom and I kind of slid to the right going back toward where the boat had been anchored. And we just watched. And here we were in the heart of Patriots Nation. We're in New England. And Tom Brady, for that 10 minute time, as we said goodbye to Clinton and President Bush, was basically unrecognized. And it didn't bother Tom a bit, but these two presidents were just so gigantic that the swarm was all for them. And we made our way quietly, got back on the boat, and waited for President Bush to drive us back to Walker's Point. Wow. On the return trip, I said to Tom, what do you think of that? He said, that right there was one of the most awesome things I've ever seen in my life. How they handled that.
0: That was a classic story by Jim Nance. And we'll take politics off the golf course and into the locker room right after this. Brady played both sides of the aisle on the golf course with a former Republican president and a former Democrat president, but he has avoided discussing politics ever since a red Donald Trump MAGA hat was visible in his locker in 2016. Brady never denied he was friends with Trump. They golfed together, which predates any presidential thoughts that had entered Trump's mind. Brady never said if he voted for Trump, even if Trump bragged about their friendship. Trump and Brady first met in 2001, and would often call Brady after games. In an interview he did in April on Sirius XM with Howard Stern, Brady said Trump asked him to speak at the 2016 Republican National Convention, but he turned him down. Brady said, quote, I wasn't going to do anything political. But he also told Stern quote, the political support is totally different than the support of a friend. He avoids talking politics in public because he's trying to lead a diverse locker room comprised of players with different backgrounds and varying political beliefs. He does not want to say anything that could fracture the support he needs from his teammates. Patriots coach Bill Belichick has been a Trump supporter. Patriots owner Robert Kraft, a lifelong Democrat, is close friends with Trump and has never denied supporting him, although he was critical of Trump when he called any player who kneeled for the national anthem a son of a bitch. I think it's interesting that the three leaders of the Patriots for two decades, Kraft, Belichick, and Brady, were considered supporters of Trump in 2016, despite living and working in Massachusetts, the bluest of blue states. In a conversation I had with Kraft in January of 2018, it was apparent that his feelings for Trump were based on friendship and not politics. Here's Kraft. Donald has been a friend, you know, for over 20 years. And loyalty is important to me. And when my wife died, he and Malala, you know, I went to their wedding, by the way. Okay. And Bill and Hillary were
3: me once a week for the whole year, or the most depressing year of my life, when I was down and out. And he called me every week, see how I was doing, invited me to things, tried to lift my spirits. He was one of five or
0: six people, you know, that were like that, and I remember that. That's the end of the political discussion, but I felt it was important to address. Anyway, I'm gonna finish up this episode on the lighter side with some fun stories of Brady as a practical joker. He was much more of a prankster earlier in his career before a generation gap developed as he got older and the team got younger. He's had teammates young enough to be his son. Tom played against the father of his current teammate, Bucks rookie safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. But even as the highest profile player in the league, it was not beneath Brady to turn the locker room into a fraternity house. Phi Kappa Goat.
4: I mean, we're in such an intimate environment with each other. I mean, you, you're you at work for six in the morning till, you know, four in the afternoon, yeah. and you, you're you in close proximity to these guys for seven months of the year, and it's blood, sweat, and tears in everything you're doing. So, you know, there's a natural camaraderie and bond that probably few professions get mm-hmm. to experience. You know, when you're getting the crap knocked out of you and you look to the guy next to you, like, you better believe that that guy's got your back, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes football really special. And there's different ways that guys build that camaraderie.
0: Bill Belichick drafted Matt Castle in 2005, and by his second season, Castle and Brady had become tight as brothers. Castle is one of Brady's all-time favorite teammates. Football is such a physically demanding sport. Game days, Brady has said, is demolition derby. So keeping things loose the rest of the week is essential to a team's mental health. The Giant players were sad to see Eli Manning retire, but at least their cell phones were now safe. Eli had this annoying habit of stealing his teammates' cell phones, turning the language to Chinese, and then placing the phone back in their lockers. Giants kicker Lawrence Tynes once took the air out of Manning's tires and left a bicycle pump next to his car to fill him back up. Manning retaliated by smearing Tynes' car with Vaseline from bumper a bumper, including the windows. One of Manning's go-to gags was stuffing adult toys into the carry-on bags of teammates for road games and then waiting to see the look on the face of the TSA agents. Brady and Castle got into a practical joke can you top this war? Here's how it started. Brady liked to sit close to the door in the quarterback meeting room. When Castle would enter, he would swing the door wide open and Brady complained that one time he was going to hit him. Brady figured the kid needed to be taught a lesson.
3: I was coming in with a plate of food and so he put his chair close up to the door knowing that I was going to
4: come in. I came in, I spilled all my food all over the place. I like,
0: Brady picks up the story.
4: Castle was responsible. He was a <laughs> he was a funny guy, and he and I laughed. I mean, we were like little brothers together yeah. for the years that we played together. But um, we had an exchange the previous day, Castle and I, and he threw something. I mean, I threw something on him. He threw something on my car. I threw something on his car. You know, so it just went back and forth.
0: Now, back to Castle.
4: So then I went in and I... I...
3: His Nike shoes with uh, shaving cream. So when he put them on after the day, it's uh, shaving cream all over his feet. And then from there, he came out and threw a full protein shake all over me right as I'm about to go home. So I was like, All right, dude, I'm, like, yeah, I'm going to get you back to that. I come in the next day, like, Did you can apologize. And uh, he wanted me to call him something. I was like, There's no way I'm calling you that. Um, so what did he want you to call him? He's wanting me to call him Daddy or something like that. I was like, there's no way, dude. I'm not calling you Daddy. I'm just wait. I'm going to get you back. even worse. And so then he's like, all right, you haven't told me, you know, I can call it all off. I had no idea what he was talking about. I thought maybe
0: he was going to do something to my helmet or whatever. I didn't really care at that point. Castle refused to call
4: Brady Daddy. I can't blame him. So Tom took this to the next level. When we were out to practice, I took all four tires off his car. And we left three of them right by his locker, and, and hid hid his other tire till the next day.
0: Imagine the look on Castle's face when he walked back in from practice, saw three of his tires sitting in front of his locker, and had no idea where the fourth one was located. It's a good thing Brady didn't sell it, or even worse, leave it in Bill Belichick's office. We'll be back with more of the Goat, Tom Brady right after this. You think Brady did this auto job himself? Of course not. When you're a Super Bowl champion, you have people to call for these occasions. Besides, he could have strained his throwing shoulder, putting Castle's car up on blocks.
3: Of course, I come in for practice, and there's my tires sitting there in front of my locker. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> and- and then he hid one of them in the equipment room. Well, I couldn't get my tires on my car after practice, so I had to get a ride home. And thankfully, yes, had they come back and put them on, well, the next day the lineman thought it was funnier than hell. Like, we got to get them back.
0: Brady was sitting by his locker, thoroughly enjoying Castle's dilemma. Castle needed a ride home, at the very least. Brady should have offered. Castle got his tires back the next day, but retaliation was needed. What was Castle going to do? No worries, tackle Matt Light and center Dan Copen were there to help. Light had a well-deserved reputation as the best practical joker on the Patriots. When Brady was a rookie, Drew Bledsoe found a way into his car, turned the air conditioner control on high, and with the engine off, put glitter in the air conditioning vents. When it was time to go home, Brady got into his car. He didn't notice at first that Bledsoe was in the driver's seat of the car parked right next to him, waiting for the show to start.
4: So as soon as I turned the car on, the whole car got showered with his confetti and all in my hair, and he was just sitting in the next car. (laughs) And he thought it was the funniest thing in the world.
0: Just as an added bonus, Bledsoe put purple dye in Brady's socks before practice, and it made a terrible mess. Copen and Light were appalled at what Brady did to Castle's car. Not really, but they decided Castle needed their help getting even. They broke into Brady's car and dumped bags and bags of packaging styrofoam peanuts through the sunroof. They also put confetti in the air conditioning vents. They framed Castle knowing Brady expected him to get even. Castle was an accomplice, but Copen and Light did the heavy lifting. Here's Copen.
5: Light and I did fill his car up with peanuts, and in the club level where you can, where we do walkthroughs sometimes, you can see down in the players' lot. So oh, it's peanuts. peanuts. you know the packaging peanuts. Oh, okay, okay. So it would've been better if it was peanuts in the shell; would've been more of a mess. Oh yeah, that would've been yeah, <laughs> that would've been awful. But it was just the packaging peanuts. Um, and I went out the day before, got a huge bunch of huge bags, um, and we did that. We filled his car up. How'd you had to get into his car? Stole his keys. Naturally, no problem, actually, yeah. you know, stole his keys and we went out there, filled his car up, and you could see the car from the, the walkthrough area that we were at. So we he say, "Hey, Tom, you know, come over and check it out." And sure enough, he saw his car. And, um, I think you're right. I think Castle didn't end, end up getting blamed for that. Um, miraculously, by the end of the practice that afternoon, his car was cleaned, that's and, he, and he nev- pretty detailed. And, and he never went out and cleaned it. So someone cleaned his car which was kind of a letdown, you know. We, we wanted him to go out there and just open the car and all the peanuts fall out, but, you know, that got taken care of.
0: Copen is convinced he and Light covered their tracks so well that Brady believed Castle was indeed Mr. Peanut. Brady laughed when I told him that.
4: The has been hitting the head too many times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brady said he knew it wasn't Castle, but wanted Copen and Light to get the last laugh. That's a quarterback taking care of of his offensive linemen. So where was Bill Belichick when all this was going on? He knew everything. But once it reached a point where things couldn't get out of control and he was afraid somebody actually might get hurt, he called for a ceasefire.
3: And then Belichick got word of it and he was like, starting World War Three here. We're going to get somebody hurt, all right? Can we stop this shit? So then it stopped after that, but it was pretty funny. You know, you, the old, old adage is you never mess with anybody that has more money than you do.
0: So there is clearly a fun side to Tom Brady and a fun side to football. I'll leave you with one more story and
4: let Brady tell it. The linemen always come up with something. They, Matt Light always used to do things. They would drop their pants and... They, you know we watch film after practice yeah. and they have the overhead shot of us doing the play yeah. like game film
2: Right.
4: during like if the defense is practicing and it's the offensive scout team mm-hmm. the offensive linemen would run to try to stay in shape so they knew when the plays were being you know filmed so when they run across they'd like run across with their pants down then they'd run across <laughs> and no one would see it during practice because everyone's <laughs> just watching the practice and Afterwards, when you watch the film and you see him doing it, it was so funny. I mean, we missed that so much. I mean, it takes a lot of personality to do that.
0: Yeah. On the next episode of The GOAT, Tom Brady, Joe Namath has a great perspective on Tom Brady signing with the Bucks after 20 years in New England. Remember, Broadway Joe became Hollywood Joe for one season after a great career with the New York Jets. I'm Gary Myers, and thanks for listening. The Goat, Tom Brady, is a production of Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Gary Myers, executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis for Diversion Podcast, and Sean Titone for iHeartRadio. Story editing by Scott Waxman with editorial direction from John Tuttle. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Archival research by Brianne Murphy. Verna Fields is our technical producer, and our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Find Diversion on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Diversion Pods. And let us know what do you think of the show? Send us your questions, your comments, and even your critiques. That's Diversion Pods on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Diversion Podcasts.